1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Let's pray. O God, as we come to your word now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would would fill us, would enlighten us, would empower us to know and to do and to learn. And Lord, we must confess that in this world we see dimly. And so we would pray for eyes to see the glories of our Lord Jesus Christ and all of his excellencies. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, there was a lot of confusion in the Corinthian church surrounding the doctrine of the resurrection, and they were not alone. We see that happening throughout the New Testament. And I just want to give a brief survey of some of these instances in God's Word that show us that people were confused about the resurrection. The first time the word resurrection is used in the New Testament, it's in context with Jesus having a discussion with a bunch of Jewish people priests. We learned a little bit about them this morning. They are called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, of course, rejected any idea of the resurrection. They did not believe that there were angels or spirits, and they did not believe in the resurrection. So how about the Romans? Well, Paul was preaching to King Agrippa and to Festus, and he talked about the resurrection. He spoke about the death, the burial of Jesus, and his resurrection. And what was their response? Festus says, Paul, you've gone mad. You are crazy. This cannot happen. And how about the Greeks? Well, in Acts chapter 18, Paul's preaching to the gospel, preaching the gospel to the Greeks in Athens on the Areopagus. And of course, he's preaching about the resurrection. And that is the thing that they pounce on. And they found it abhorrent to think about was the resurrection because the Greeks taught that through death, that the, the spirit was liberated from this tomb of the body. And so the idea of being resurrected and being joined together once again with this body was abhorrent to them. They rejected that. They didn't want any part of that. And so the Greeks didn't believe in the resurrection. The Romans didn't believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees certainly didn't believe in the resurrection. But many in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ around this time in the first 
century also were having trouble coming to terms with the doctrine of the resurrection. You can see right in this passage, if we were to continue reading at verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you, that some of you that are within the church at Corinth, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And Paul also admonished Timothy in 2 Timothy to be careful of those who reject the resurrection of the body. There were these people around the church who were rejecting this idea. And so denying the doctrine of the resurrection is not a new thing. And I don't know if you are watching the History Channel or, or different programs on television, always this time of year they trot out these liberal theologians and they have all these different programs that claim to have come up with the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and all these different things to try to do away with the doctrine of the resurrection. To try to dispel that. Why do they do that? Because our hope as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ cling on this doctrine. This doctrine is of utmost importance. But let's go along with this for a while. That's what Paul does in verses 12 to 19. Say the resurrection never happened or couldn't happen or didn't happen. Paul plays this game, the what if game, in verses 12 to 19. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, if he did not have victory over sin, if he did not conquer death, what does that mean for us? That's an important question for us to consider and one that the apostle answers for us in verses 12 to 19. Well, the Sadducees rejected the resurrection, the Romans did, the Greeks did, some around the church did, and Paul helps us with the implications to say, if that is true, if Christ Jesus was not raised, then here's what would happen. Jesus is still dead. Verse 12, he talks about that. Jesus is still dead. That means everybody, every one of us, is worshiping a dead historical figure. There's no power in that. There's no transformation in that. There's nothing. Jesus is dead. Secondly, it would mean that Jesus is a liar because Jesus himself predicted that he would die, he would be crucified, and that he would raise to life once again. He had the power to lay down his life and to take it up again. So Jesus would be a liar. Number three, if there's no resurrection, then our preaching is in vain. Verse 14, and your faith is in vain. It's futile. It's meaningless. It is empty. Number four, if there's no resurrection, the disciples also are all liars. We see that in verse 15. The disciples are all liars and so are we. Christ was a liar. The disciples are liars and so are we. We are confessing this, uh, that Christ has been raised from the dead and so we would be perpetuating a lie as well. Number five, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then there is no forgiveness of sins. Verse 17 talks about that. If Jesus was not resurrected from the dead, then neither will we be. If Christ has not been raised, verse 17, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That's a horrifying verse to consider the implications of that, isn't it? You are still in your sins because part of the transaction of the forgiveness that Jesus provides necessitates not just his death, but that he conquered death, that he rose from the grave, that he is Christus 
victor. He had victory over the grave. And we are justified by believing in his death, burial, and resurrection. But if there is no resurrection, then there is no forgiveness of sins. We are still dead in our trespasses and sins. And number six, if there is no resurrection, then death is the end for every person here, for all of us. And that is it. Verse 18. There is no resurrection, then death is the end for each one of us. Those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. Those loved ones you hope to see again, forget about it. They're gone. You will not see them if Christ was not raised from the dead. And then verse 19, number 7, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, if it's just a fantasy to get us through this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why? Because we've given ourselves to a lie. It's just all myths and fairy tales. We could have Easter Sunday, but we might as well, instead of believing in a resurrected Christ, we might as well believe in the Easter Bunny. It'd be the same thing. But yet, the passage wonderfully goes on to remind us in verse 20, but in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead. It is a fact. And we're going to look at some of the facts here in a minute. But one of the things that is important for us to think about in in regards to the resurrection is that the Roman authorities, the Sadducees, all of these different people who rejected the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, all they had to do was to come up with a body. Just come up with a body and say, here, disciples, here is your Messiah, your Savior. He is dead. There he is. And they couldn't do it. Because they knew it was true. Right? Our New Testament tells us that they tried to concoct various ideas to try to cover up what had occurred. It was a known fact of the day that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And even one of the Jewish historians in the first century, Flavius Josephus, writes this in his Antiquities of the Jews. He says, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, a doer of wonderful works, a teacher. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold, and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct to this day. All they had to do was come up with a body, and they couldn't do it. And the reason is simple, because things occurred just like the Bible said they occurred, just like the prophets had foretold. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, from verse 12 to the end of the chapter, Paul talks about the significance of the resurrection, all these various implications that would occur if it was not true. But in verses 1 to 11, he's talking about the facts, the facts or the evidence of the resurrection. And I'd like us to consider some of those things uh, this evening. Now, if you've ever been in a motor vehicle accident, you know the importance of having witnesses. Having witnesses. 
Years ago, I left my church office and I was driving along the road and there was a parked vehicle on the shoulder. And I was, as I was passing that vehicle, that vehicle came out and hit the side of my, my vehicle. And so we stopped and we exchanged information. And there was a vehicle behind me that's, that stopped also and gave me a business card. Another one that was coming toward us in traffic also gave me a, a business card. And so I took those things. We, we, uh, we discussed, we exchanged that information about the accident. I went home and that night I called ICBC. I told them everything that had happened. And the person, the adjuster with ICBC said, well, that's not what the other driver reported. The other driver said that I had hit her. And so the importance of the witnesses came into play there as I was able to tell the adjuster, these are my witnesses, this is their information. And she phoned me the next day and said, no worries, it's all taken care of. The other driver is 100% at fault. If I didn't have those witnesses, what would happen? ICBC would just say 50-50. They can't determine it. They're not going to investigate it. That's it. It's over. We're 50% at fault, each of us. Now, what is the point of that? Well, if you are in an accident, get witnesses. That's one of the first things you should do. Park your car, put on your four-way flashers, get witnesses, because you'll need them. But also, when it comes to the resurrection, we see these witnesses, these eyewitness testimonies that tell us what happened in these events and people who actually saw the risen Lord. What an amazing thing and experience that would be to see the risen Christ. And we see how transforming that is in the lives of people. The risen Christ. We see that in the New Testament. We see that in our own lives and we see that in the church and Verses 1 and 2 talk about the church. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So witness number one is the church. The Corinthian church, us as a church, Paul is ministering in this pagan city in Corinth, and Paul preached the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, And it totally transformed the lives of these pagan people in this pagan city, just like we live in these pagan surroundings. And the idea that Jesus lived a good life, he was a good person, he taught many good moral lessons, all these different things, wonderful things that he did. And then if he died and didn't come back, he's just in the line with all of the other would-be messiahs and saviors and religious leaders that may be good religion to talk about. It may be philosophy to talk about the things that Jesus spoke of, but it's not transformational, is it? It's not transformational. What is transformative is the guy who said that he was going to die and told us the manner in which he died, did die and came back just as he said he would. That's transformational. Jesus conquered death. And if he can conquer death, then he can do anything. And so my encouragement to you tonight, one of them, is if he promises that he can transform your life by you believing in him, then he can do it. He can do it. No problem is too big, though our thoughts of God are often so small. Just remember, a small God leads to big problems in your life. A small view of God will lead to big problems 
problems in your life. And so if your problems seem too big, too big even for God tonight, then you need to enlarge your thoughts of who God is and remind yourself of all that He's accomplished for you in the Gospel, all that He is capable of, and the lengths that He has gone through to show you His power in the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Gospel that I preach to you, the Apostle says. It is the Gospel that you've received, that you've internalized, the good news of all that Jesus has done. And it's the Gospel that saves your soul from wrath, from judgment, and the penalty of your sins because Christ took it all on the cross. It's the gospel that we stand in. So you as a Christian, and all Christians everywhere in all times, and including the Corinthian church, everyone who has received and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ has been transformed by his power miraculously. We are all trophies of his grace. It's the power of the gospel. And the next testimony that we see is, of course, the testimony of the scriptures. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It was not myths and fairy tales that they made up. It was in accordance with the scriptures. Now, Paul, Paul first received the gospel. He embraced the gospel on the road to Damascus. That was not the first time he'd heard it, though, is it? The stoning of Stephen, perhaps other places. He would have heard the gospel, but he believed the gospel. He embraced the Lord Jesus Christ first for the first time on the road to, to Damascus. He received it, and then he spent three years working through all of the implications in his life, the theological implications, the life implications that this meant for him. It took him three years to work through that. And then he spent the rest of his life seeking to make other people known of the transformative power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And Paul says that all of this is in accordance with the scriptures. And we don't have time tonight to go through all of the different scriptures, but if you are a note taker, you can write down Genesis 22, Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Isaiah 52, 53, Hosea 6, 2, many other places in the Old Testament that talk about it. Those familiar passage, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. Psalm 22 talks about the, the horrifying prospects of crucifixion hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. Invented by the Persians, adopted by the Romans, perfected by the Romans. Psalm 16, which we read this morning, we see that repeated by Peter at Pentecost in Acts 2.27, talking about the Holy One that will not see corruption. And there David in Psalm 16 is not talking about himself. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ as Peter applies it to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself goes back to the book of Jonah. The Jews wanted a sign and what did Jesus tell them? He answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's from Matthew 12, 39 and 40. So all these different texts that tell us 
these different aspects of the Lord, that he would be born, that he would die, that he would be risen from the dead. And Paul before King Agrippa in Acts 26 says, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God, so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So over and over and over again, we see in the scriptures testifying to the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the church is a witness. The transferring power of the gospel in your lives is a witness. The scriptures are a witness. And then we also see these other eyewitnesses in verses 5 through 7. And then he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter. Then to the twelve. Then to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So Paul gives us this great list of different eyewitnesses who saw the risen Lord. And I wish we had time to go into and to develop these different people here. You know the life of Peter, how he rejected the Lord and how the Lord had restored him and the transformation that occurred in his life through the resurrection. We see that in James, the half-brother of Jesus, who before did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it appears that the resurrection was the thing that brought him to receive his own half-brother as his Lord and Savior. And then he became a leader in the early church. And we read about him in Acts chapter 15. All of these different witnesses that we see here, 500 different people at one time witnessing the Lord. All of these witnesses, the church, all of these witnesses transformed lives. So we see Peter, we see James, we see the apostles, all of these people And then we see another witness that is introduced to us, none other than the Apostle Paul in verses 8 through 10. The Apostle Paul himself in verses 8 through 10. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul is not one of the twelve. During that time, he's, he's born as one untimely. He would have loved to have been with Jesus for those three plus years and witness everything that the apostles got to, but he was not. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul remembers what he did, but he didn't get stuck in the past in what he did. He was not paralyzed and crippled by the sins of the past, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. The Apostle Paul, another great witness of what had occurred. We see that he is talking about the risen Lord and how he saw him in Acts chapter 9, the road to Damascus, that uh, light that strikes him off of his horse and he cannot see, cannot drink, he cannot eat, and he's forever transformed. He zealously at one point opposed God's people and now he served God's people to the death. Christ transformed him. Paul Paul says, 
I saw him as well. I am one of the witnesses that saw him. But I was born just a little bit too late. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And doesn't grace change everything? Doesn't the grace of God in your life change everything? That we can seek the the pardoning of our sins through His grace? The grace of God changes everything. The grace of God in your life changes everything. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul says, I'm not what I would like to be, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. Christ has changed me and I'm not what I will be one day when I'm glorified, when I too am resurrected. That is the message that the Apostle Paul declares to be of first importance, of primary importance, the gospel, the resurrection at the core of the gospel. Paul says, I've seen what it's done in your lives. I've seen the prophecies unfold before our very eyes, proclaimed a hundred years, hundreds of years before. We have all of the eyewitnesses accounts and then I have seen the resurrected Lord myself. So just to wrap up in this brief time that we have to look at this passage, funerals are always very interesting in many different ways. And I find there is a marked difference in doing a funeral for a believer and doing a funeral for an unbeliever. A very, very great difference. And my dad died 12 days ago and I only met him four years ago. And over the course of the four years, I was able to share the gospel with him. He made a profession of faith. And even my daughter, Emily, was able to speak spiritual truth into his life. And so we have hope. We do not grieve as those without hope. But I've done many funerals. And as I stand up at the front, just like this, and I look out at people, there is a marked difference in the faces of the people, in the faces of those who do not believe there's darkness, there's despair, there's hopelessness, there's terror, there's fear. And generally in the faces of those who believe, though there is sorrow, there's grief, there's sobbing and weeping, it's painful, it's really, really painful. But there's also life and hope and joy in the hope of glory through Christ who is our victory. He has conquered death. He conquered death through the resurrection and in Him we are more than conquerors. He was resurrected. He had the power to lay down His life and to take it up again. And by virtue of that fact, we too will be resurrected. It's a guarantee. And one of the texts that I preach at funerals and many other people would preach at a funeral is from John chapter 11 and that is concerning the resurrection of Lazarus. And Jesus says in verse 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, that is Martha, he's speaking to, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And her response is, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe. 
And I find it very interesting that Martha is asked this question not after she's seen Lazarus rise, rise from the dead, but before. Before. She hadn't seen Lazarus come forth from the tomb. She hadn't seen Christ risen from the dead. And yet she has this faith. Do you believe this? And her response, yes, Lord, I believe. Now, how about you? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? If your response is, yes, Lord, I believe, then Romans 10.9 is for you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. The resurrection. We must believe that Christ was risen from the, day, from the grave. He conquered death. The resurrected Christ in you. The hope of glory. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we do thank you for the hope that is ours in our Lord Jesus Christ by virtue of the resurrection. He had the power to lay down his life. He took it up again. And Lord, by virtue of this truth, we too, though we will lie in the grave one day, we will rise with the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will be with you forevermore. And so we thank you for the joy that we can have in the midst of sorrow and that we do not have to grieve as those without hope, that you give us great hope through the gospel. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.